0: of our i'm your host Louis alderson with mr brian Terry, live
1: and in person here in the studio our first show of 2015 that's right now is a great time to call we've been gone the last two weeks so you couldn't get your questions answered live but now is the time yeah apparently the recorded shows we did were well received because i got a lot of email
0: over the holiday of folks who said yeah i got a lot out of it and really enjoyed the shows." a couple so, great shows glad to hear about all that put a lot of information out that's one thing when you don't get calls is you can actually express a lot more information but i think the Calls just add a whole nother genre to the show. It just makes it much more interesting to have the different folks call in with different opinions and different questions and so on and so forth.
1: everywhere around the United
0: States. That's absolutely right. And, of course, in Baton Rouge as well, we always welcome our Baton Rouge callers. That's the primary market for our program. That it is. (laughs) Although a lot of people from everywhere else seem to like uh, listening as well.
1: Yeah, they can go to the podcast and listen that way, which is a great way to listen. Mm Mm-hmm. There's actually a clock on the website. You can go to that little clock, mm-hmm. click on it, and if the show hasn't come on yet, it gives you a few minutes still, time delay. It tells till you exactly how long it's going, going be on. to be. Mm-hmm. And if it after the show, then it gives you a seven-day.
0: Sure. <laughs> well, that and during the show, it will give you a link that will actually take you to iHeartRadio, which will let you listen to the show live, no matter where you are listening from. I, okay. I know that works anywhere in the United States. I'm not sure outside the States. I know there was some kind of a copyright... I'm and, sure. iHeart didn't work outside the United States. I'm not sure if that's ever been resolved or not, but yeah, you can actually click on that and listen to the show live if you care to or listen to podcasts. You can go to iTunes or Stitcher or any of your favorite, Bean or Any of your favorite rebroadcast service. That's right. There's tons of those out, and we always appreciate it when you do go to those, and especially if you take time to give us a written review because when you give us a written review, what that does is moves us up in the ratings. The folks who have those services – Look at all of the podcasts, and there are thousands and thousands, not just automotive, but of every conceivable, and they don't know – who to put where and obviously they want to serve their listeners so they try to put the more popular shows closer to the top of the list so Mm -hmm. you don't have to scroll down as far and one way that they judge popularity is the number of written reviews that a show receives right so if you have say a hundred five-star ratings then they're going to say well this is a more popular show they're going to put you closer to the top of the listing so that when someone clicks say auto repair or automotive service or whatever you might click to get there it's going to bring those shows up first now you're still in there if you're not highly rated. You uh-huh. scroll down, but not that many folks are going to scroll through 200, 300 listings to find the one they want. They're going to look at the first 10, maybe. Right and so that's why every show is always trying to get ratings up and one way you do that is with interesting content, content and mm-hmm. we try that as much as
1: possible as well there's a lot of interesting content when you're talking about automotive related topics that's right so that's why we always are
0: asking and requesting folks to go in and give us written reviews it just helps to move us up so that more folks can hear us and that's the whole purpose of the show that's it we uh, did a program while we were on break about car maintenance and making your car last longer and i had a gentleman who emailed and he said that was a great show i know you're limited on time you didn't cover every portion of it Uh you're absolutely true what i thought about on the way in this morning is that there are i guess four major things that i can think of that are going to determine how long a car lasts and how many miles you're going to get out of the car okay and number one is the type of car you buy Because some cars are just going to have a better service history than others. For instance, the Toyota and Honda products tend to give more miles trouble-free service than, say, some other vehicles, even some of the imported vehicles. If you're using them in the way they were intended to be used. And that's point two, is the way you operate the vehicle. Now, a person who is doing a lot of long driving, in other words, he – maybe lives in one city and works in another, and his average trip, when he gets in the car and turns the key, he may drive 25 miles, 30 miles, 50 miles, pick a number, before he turns it off one way. Correct. That vehicle is almost always going to last a lot longer and give a lot less problem, regardless of what kind of vehicle it is, Mm -hmm. regardless of how well he takes care of it. He is just naturally going to have an edge over a guy who gets in his car, starts it up, drives it three, four, five miles, and shuts it off. Then it sits. Are the people who – I know we have a lot of elderly customers, and right. they don't drive their car every day. Right. Car may sit for two or three days without ever being driven. And then they may get in and go to church or get in and go to the beauty shop or get in and go to the grocery store, store or right. the places they need to go. Short trips. And those are three to five miles. That vehicle never really gets to operating temperature. So under those conditions – almost any vehicle you buy is going to be more problematic sure. than a vehicle that is operated in another manner. So the two things there are, number one, buying the right vehicle to start with. Number two, the way you operate the vehicle. Number three would be the maintenance that the vehicle receives. Okay. Because any vehicle across the board, if it has good vehicle maintenance, is going to last longer than any other vehicle that does
1: not have good maintenance. Most definitely.
0: For instance, let's say we buy a General Motors product, newer one, which, as you and I have talked about a few times, tends to be a more problematic vehicle than some. Mm -hmm. But you give it excellent maintenance. You do everything on time, right on time. And then another person buys a Toyota Camry, which is typically a pretty good vehicle, but he does absolutely nothing to it. Right. Right. Well, you may get better mileage out of your Chevrolet than the guy with the Toyota did. So just buying a quality vehicle is not enough. It is one important step, but it is not the only important step. If you buy a great car, but then you abuse it or neglect it, then odds are it is going to have more trouble than maybe even a lesser design that has had excellent maintenance care. and care. Right. And I think the fourth thing or the fourth leg on the stool would be the person you have that is maintaining your car. Uh-huh. And this is something that I know a lot of people do not catch on to because they kind of view the automotive business as one thing. And they say, well, if a guy owns a shop, he has to know how to fix cars. So if I bring my car there and I get, say, a transmission service done there, it's just the same as getting it done anywhere else. Well, that is not totally true. That's not true at all because auto service is not a commodity. It's a thing that a lot of stuff goes into. So if you get a quote-unquote transmission service in one shop, what that may mean to them is they disconnect the cooler lines, they run a little clean fluid through the dirty transmission, they hook the cooler lines back up and give it back to you, put the wrong fluid in it. They consider that a transmission that service. That is what they market as a transmission service. Right. Now, if you don't know the difference and you go there, you say, well, I had my transmission service right on time, but I mm-hmm. still had problems. Well, it was done improperly. And that's where it is so important to investigate the reputation of the shop that does the service on your car because we get folks in all the time who have major problems with their car right let's say the cooling system is corroded out and it needs literally hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of repair and the client will say well i don't understand i had my coolant changed every three years Uh yes but it was improperly done what do you mean improperly done they changed the coolant Yes, but they put the wrong kind of coolant in it. They did not use distilled water. They put city water. They did not drain the engine block. Mm -hmm. They did not drain the heater core. All they did was drain the radiator and dump the wrong coolant on top of the old coolant. Right. And they left depleted coolant in it. So basically, by putting the wrong coolant, they may have actually done more harm than not doing the job at all. Sure, because coolant is not just green anymore. No, it's not, <laughs> I mean, not one thing. It's not, uh, it's not ethylene glycol it. like it was. Well, it, mostly it's either ethylene or propylene glycol, but the corrosion protections just
1: way, vastly, way different. Vastly different.
0: So you go in and you have a General Motors product, which requires DexCool. Which is an orange base. It's an orange color. H-O-A-T, hybrid organic acid technology. And you dump in a green phosphate or silicate, type coolant well the first thing happens is not immediately but 20,000 miles later the water pump goes out mm-hmm. because the seals in those two water pumps are different and the coolant type is designed to work with a certain type of seal so now you put a water pump in well they go back they dump the wrong coolant in again they put city water in which is full of chlorine and fluoride now you have this, these different chemicals going on in the engine you start a corrosive process the next thing you know the heater core goes out right okay well you go and you do a heater core well the next thing the radiator goes out or you eat another heater core Or out. you eat another heater core right. out. And then the next thing, you put another water pump on it. Well, pretty soon, this is a terrible car. This car is a piece of junk. So right, because it's it. always in the shop. Yeah, you go trade it in because you're spending thousands of dollars repairing, whereas the whole problem is the guy who is working on the car just technically doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And there are some folks out there who are – they may be very, very polite. They may be very nice. They may be very honest. They just, they just do not know. technically kept up with the things that have changed in the industry. I see that all the time. Right. And so it's a, you have to be honest, you have to be polite to customers, but you also have to be technically competent. Sure. You have to keep up with the feel because the average customer can't possibly do that. He just doesn't have the wherewithal or the time or anything information. else. And he really shouldn't have to. Right. If you went to a shop and asked for a service, you should be able to assume that it's done properly, but that's not always the case.
2: Hey, quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. That's the best. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me. Alphonse, the know-it-all Cajun. Hey! Call her what you wanna know. Alphonse? My car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff, and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I uh, know you wouldn't be disappointed. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. We sure wish you'd give us a call. We always love hearing from you and love giving you advice. There you go. <laughs> we got Matt's been patiently holding. Good morning,
2: Matt.
1: Morning. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Love the show. You bet. Thank you. Got a 2007 Mercedes C230, okay. and when you turn on the air conditioning, mm-hmm. you get this like really sour smell for mm-hmm. about 30 seconds, and then it goes away, and then it's fine, and it cools normally. I'm mm-hmm. um, wondering if you've ever come across that and if you know any of any pairs
2: to Yeah,
0: I don't work on European cars, Matt, but uh, we do see that a lot on all cars, and generally what's happening is that you've got some moisture that's staying in the evaporator core, and it starts to mildew. In other words, you've got an area inside a dash which is dark it gets hot when the car is turned off and the windows are closed so it's a hot dark damp area which is perfect breeding ground for any kind of bacteria or mold or mildew and that's what you smell when the fan blows through it you get that strong smell when it flows through a little bit it just kind of dilutes it down it's still there but like anything when someone goes to the restroom and they turn the exhaust fan on it goes away for a while but To answer your question, there's a number of different steps. There's chemicals that a shop has that they can spray in through the system that sometimes, if it's not too bad, those will kill it. That's the easiest way by far. Those are ingested in through the intake at the base of the windshield. Now, if you want to try something yourself, what you can actually do is open all the doors and windows, turn the blower on high, and then take something like a disinfectant spray, maybe Lysol or... I don't know. There's there's bunches of them on the market. Put it on fresh air. Mm-hmm. Then go down to the base of the windshield. You know where the windshield wipers are, and if you start to spray right there, you'll see it sucking in because that's where it draws the fresh air in. Let it spray down through there for I don't know three four minutes, and reach in while someone's still spraying and turn the key off. And what you do when you do that because if you go and turn it off, turn off, it it's going to dissipate out, but. If you turn the key off while it's still being sucked in, then it's kind of caught in that plenum chamber. So let it sit for maybe an hour or so and then go back, crank it up, and do it again. Try that a couple of times. If that doesn't cure it, step two would be to go to a shop. They've got a stronger chemical than you're going to be able to buy on the market, and they can do the same thing. Now, beyond that, in some extreme cases, you have to actually go in – remove the blower motor, get in and scrub that area out because it just depends on what kind of bug is growing in there as to how resistant it is. But I've seen a lot of folks do real well with Lysol. If that doesn't do it, try someone with a disinfectant spray. I mean, on an absolutely horrible case, they'd make a machine that produces ozone, and they put it in the car window, roll the window partially up, it seals, and they flood the car with ozone for maybe a couple of hours. That will kill basically anything in that car. So you want to make sure anything that you, yeah, you, lo- you love you a <laughs> anything <Now. laughs> you might want is out of there, but that will kill okay. anything in that car. Right. And okay. uh, that's another step. And, of course, beyond that, I've really not seen it come to this very many times, but occasionally you have to actually pull the dash, pull the evaporator case out and get in. We had a lady one time who had a Jeep, and a little rodent had gotten up inside there and died. And I mean there was yeah. no it was no no
1: spraying that out. It yeah, actually had to be yeah. disassembled and removed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll give it a try
0: and I'll uh, I'll shoot you an email let you know how it goes. Okay. Sounds, sounds great. great. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, all right. right. Thanks, Carl. Bye Bye-bye. bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. Of course, 225
1: will get you to us from anywhere you may be calling from. That's right, and you put a 1 in front of that, and you can reach us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right. We would uh, sure love to hear from you this morning. Well, we certainly do. It always makes the show more interesting, makes it go a whole lot faster. Sure. Get a little variety of calls from different parts of the country right now, because you know, right now we're in short sleeves, but I'm sure up north they're uh, below zero right now.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I guarantee you. It's uh, getting cold, and the weather here is
1: supposed to change as well. Uh-huh. are raining pretty hard which today and into tomorrow I think and then it's supposed to front's supposed to come on through and cool off right down right. to lower 30s upper 20s I saw right so you know we're expecting a little cool cooler weather than we have right now that's right and we were speaking just before the break about
0: the ways to make your car last longer mm-hmm. and cost you a lot less money over the years which i think there's very few people who say i want to buy a car and just spend as much as i can i just want to throw money at this thing <laughs> <laughs> not many people are going to feel that way most people want to buy a car and then they want to have some trouble-free life out of sure. it. sure and that period might be three years with one car it might be 10 years with another and the financial impact to you is going to be significant sure between those two cars and there are ways You can't absolutely guarantee you're not ever going to have a problem, but you can certainly hedge your bet. And like we talked about earlier, number one is buying the correct car to start with. Buy a car with a reputation for quality, for good dependability. If you buy a sports car, let's say you go out and buy, and I'm not going to pick on any particular car, but you buy a high-powered sports car that's turbocharged. Well, you got to know the car is designed for performance. Sure. It's not going to be as good on dependability or economy because you have at least three sides to the triangle, one being performance, one being reliability, and one being economy. To get closer to one, you get further from the other two. Uh
1: Uh-huh. And if you go to a strictly performance car, it is going to be way further away from the other two aspects. It's going to be more expensive to own. It is. Because it's going to have the tires that are on it are going to be V or Z rated. Right. Because of the suspension that is made for that particular application. To give you performance. Right. You're not going to be able to go to the gas station and put... The 89, 87 octane. It's going to take the high-grade fuel, fuel. which always costs more. Mm -hmm. So that's things you got to look at when you start buying a car like that. that. And a lot of folks, for whatever
0: reason, I guess just the way people think, they say, well, if I pay a lot of money for a car, it must be a better car. Not necessarily. Not at all, because a lot of the higher-dollar cars are higher-dollar only because they have a lot more gadgets and gizmos which actually makes them more problematic Sure, because all these things tend to break. You see this a lot like on your Cadillacs. A Cadillac is probably less dependable, in my experience, than a Chevrolet is just because it's basically the same designs, but it has a lot more gadgets and gizmo, a lot more actuators, a lot more servos, a lot of these stuff in there to break. And with more things to break... The more are going to break. Not only that, the way this car gets to sixty five, seventy thousand dollars 70000 is that each part costs a lot of money. Exactly. So when you start changing parts, they cost a lot more money. When you've got a high performance Cadillac automobile and you go in for a brake service, you're going to find out that that may be a $1,000 process as opposed to a $200 process on, say, a Chevrolet. Correct. Because it has a high performance rotor, it has a high performance material pad, for a brake pad, all right. of these things. It's also less forgiving. If you go in and put a set of aftermarket pads on it, you're probably going to have a lot more problems because this thing has been so highly engineered that if you make any little changes, you're really going to have problems. Sure. So you're going to have to kind of think about those sorts of things. It's not just, oh, boy, i got an expensive cars for right. the last long time. Let's go back to our lives with Victor. Good morning, Victor. Hey,
3: good morning, Lewis. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Doing great. I've called you for real before. i already called you a couple of times. Okay. Yeah, well, this time I was detailing my car, doing some cleaning, and I found some moisture Mm -hmm. under the car mat and the Uh driver's side, but I went over to talk to the guy at the Ford dealer. He says he doesn't think it's the heater core. He thinks it might be something else, maybe through the, oh, where is it when the windshield whopper is? Well,
0: it could be that. It could also be the evaporator drain can cause that.
3: Oh, boy. If
0: you notice, does it do it when you don't use the air conditioner? Do you or have you tried that? I did, and it was still a little little wet. Okay, let well going to stay wet for a while. What you going to need to do first, Victor, is remove the carpeting and get all of that moisture out. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is it's going to start to mildew, and you're going to get an odor that you just can't get out of the car. And you're going to yeah. eventually
1: end up taking the carpet out anyway. That's correct. So. so
0: what I would do is, I know you're a pretty handy guy. If you could go in and get the carpet out, lay it out in the hot sun, and let the sun just dry it. The sun is Perfect because those ultraviolet rays from the sun will help kill any kind of bacteria that's growing in the carpet. Leave the carpet out until you find the source of the leak. And that's going to make it much easier because now you're going to see where it's running down. Now, the first thing is try not operating the air conditioner. And if it doesn't leak and if you turn the air conditioner on, it does leak. Then what's most likely going to be the case is that the evaporator core is, you know, the case is leaking not necessarily a big deal. It's a little drain. Sometimes it gets plugged up, and you just blow it out with compressed air, and that will fix it. Now, that's not the case. Another common thing on the Fords, there is generally going to be a cabin air filter that is up in the cowl area.
3: And oh, my car doesn't have that. I'm no, glad it doesn't. Okay, well, there's
0: going to be a cover in there where the cabin air filter would have went if it had, had one. And it was on the fresh mm-hmm. air intake. If you remove that air, you're going to see where it draws the air in, and sometimes that cover is out of place. And if that's the case, then water will get
1: in through the fresh air opening. Right. The cover is there to keep the water from getting into it. And if right. it's not in the right place, the water will wick around and end up in that case. That's with right. The, now, with well, the I
3: had read some information mm-hmm. that, like, that, my, my car, I got a Mercury Montego, that mm-hmm. it has a lot, like, the cowl. Because yes. I, I park where there's a lot of trees. Yeah, the leaves will get in and plug it. it up. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that's it. But also, too, it says that he, there's even, like, an O-ring. Or like something similar to that, like around with a wiper blade, where you attach the wiper blade to... Not the blade,
0: but where the transmissions go through the cap. Correct, correct. Would
3: that leak inside? Well, not
0: normally, only if it's been taken apart. You know, if someone's had it apart and it's very unlikely to have leaked from the factory, because it's a pretty Mm -hmm. good seal job. That is usually a problem when someone takes it apart and puts it back together and doesn't get it in there right, but... I would check those drains, and you have to take the windshield wipers off. You have to take that cow panel off, and then you get down there. there's two drains, one on either side, and they've got leaves in those. When it rains hard, that water will overflow, and it'll overflow the little area and run into the car. That's pretty common. That'll also wipe out your windshield wiper motor because generally the wiper motor ends up going underwater.
3: So yeah. that gets no, you. it's working the wiper motors, but yeah, I'm wondering time, something though. with the leaves. Yes, because I've cleaned it. And I, well, there's a lot of leaves around yes. that little area right. sometimes yeah. when and I've see, cleaned it.
0: Just cleaning the outside is normally not enough. You can have to remove the cowl and actually get under there because some of those leaves will get through, and that's what plugs up the little drains.
3: Mm. What time do you guys listen? I, I'm, I'm my car has other issues. Uh huh. And what do you guys open? You guys open this Monday? Yes. Oh, cause I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you guys, but I would rather talk uh, um when I'm offline, and I want to call your shot, cause uh, I think I'm gonna bite the bullet and have my car shipped and have you guys work on it. <laughs> yeah, I just yeah, seriously, you guys, I, I'm I'm like a groupie to your car show. Oh well, I appreciate and, it. And I can't find anybody who's, who wants to work on my car the way I want them to work. Mm-hmm. I've already priced the car carrier and I think I'm just going to have – I don't want to get rid of the car. It's in good shape. It mm-hmm. might be a couple years old, mm-hmm. and it's not trash, and I just – there's other issues it has. Uh-huh. I just want to – even if I spend three or $4,000, I want to keep the car yeah. and just have it running the way I want it, and I can't find a mechanic who wants to work on it mm-hmm. the way I think he should. Yeah, and and I would love
0: to have your business. I know bringing it all the way from Florida would be quite a challenge, but if have you read the articles
3: on my site on finding a good shop? I have, and I still can't find I still can't a good shop. I, I I got a guy who's close to my house, mm-hmm. and he's pretty good, but he always wants to use aftermarket yeah, parts. And yeah. I told him that I will pay no right. matter what, as long as he uses four parts. He says, sir, you don't have to do this. I said, no, but they're good quality. And we just kind of went round and round, and yeah. I just thought, you know what, forget about it. Yeah, sometimes the markup that they
0: make selling aftermarket parts is higher than they make selling – part so that's why i think they push those so what you might want to do victor is fire off an email and i've got an association that i belong to that has shops all over the country i will look around and ask some questions of some of the guys in your area and see if maybe i can find someone for you and of course worst case scenario you could always have the car shipped in
3: yeah i think I, like i said i'll try to shoot out an email to you and if i can't i'm just gonna bite the bullet and <laughs> it's not that much. And I'm just going to have my car and let you guys, because right now, I'll be honest with you, I've been listening for you so so long, and you give out so much good information that you go somewhere else, and they, oh, no, this and that, because I even went to the Ford. Yeah. I said, do you guys use a chemical, like a chemical dye to see if there's a leak? Oh, no, we just run a bunch of water, and we see if it leaks somewhere. Yeah. I said, really, that's the only solution you got? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I thought... That's also, you know, to them, I'm like, you know what, I just brushed them aside so you guys ain't helpful at all. That's
0: right, that's right. Okay.
3: Yeah, and there's some other issues that I thought they they told me to, or they, you know, whenever they did some oil changes and did some other work, mm-hmm. and I'm finding there's a leak on some other things, and I'm like, why didn't you guys communicate that with me at right. the time? Right, Well, I'll tell you what,
0: give Elaine a call on Monday, and she'll answer any questions you might have. Okay, look. Right. Well, like I said, I'm a groupie. So all, right. Show. all right, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye-bye. All Bye. right. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we will be right back a whole lot more
2: information and more fun. And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the know-it-all Cajun. Call her what you want to know.
0: Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car?
2: So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you 30000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about 2500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about 1200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh?
0: Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my
2: old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer.
0: Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market
2: tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Booyah! Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go.
3: Welcome back.
0: If join us, the Automotive body. Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altisan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Got all the lines wide open. Why don't you give us a call? It's
1: and should you happen not to make it today or think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight, yeah. you can always go to our website, go to the contact bar, click on that, fill out the little form, and hit the button and send it on in, and we'll get you a answer back within 24 hours
0: that's right and that is always the best way to get in touch with me if you don't want to call the radio show because right during the week you can't just call the shop they're not going to put me on the phone because i've takes 100 percent of my time just trying to catch the people who come in to have service done and these folks are paying my salary so I have to make sure that all of my time goes to them, and I just don't have time to come in and try to field calls during the week, although I do appreciate your calls on the weekend. And I don't mind if you send an email. I can set aside certain little times a day when I'm not busy doing other things, and I can answer your email. So that works out just real well for everyone concerned. So give me an email. I'll be glad to get an answer back to you. If not, call on Saturday morning. Either way, I'll be glad to try to get you some advice, try to keep you out of trouble. There you go. And we're going out our phone lines with Al. Good morning, Al.
1: Good morning. Yes, sir. I know you all are pretty strong on this,
0: checking
3: the pH of your coolant. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you check that?
3: Swimming so, pool we'll test kit or something?
0: There's a number of ways. We have an electronic device that can check it, and there's also test strips that can check it. You know, I had talked to a guy who was a chemist one time, and he said there is no one who can check pH accurately. <laughs> huh. Of course, he's talking about down to the nth degree. He said uh-huh. there's so many factors that will influence it but you can get an idea and basically on a car all you want to know is is it seven and a half or eight or is it six and a half or under seven right so precision is not the goal you just want to know about where you're standing and all coolant when it is new has what they call reserve alkalinity it's made alkaline because everything that's in the combustion and the corrosion process is going to make it acidic Mm -hmm. so brand new coolant may be anywhere between eight and eight and a half And as you start to use it, as the additives start to deplete, it will come down on pH. When it hits 7, it's basically neutralized. There's no more reserve alkalinity. That's when it's going to start becoming corrosive. Now, that is not the only factor on coolant. That is one major factor, and it's one thing that we can test. A lot of other factors you just can't test for, the parts per million of certain corrosives and all that sort of thing. It's just not within the wherewithal of an automotive shop or an individual to test those things, although a lab might be able to, uh-huh. you know, whether it has petroleum in it. So these are things you have to visually inspect. And I have seen folks come in and their coolant, maybe the pH was still good, but it has a strong ammonia smell to it and you can see evidence of corrosion in the system. Well, that means it needs to be changed again, even though the pH is good. So pH is not the end-all, wear-all test. It's just one reliable test that we can use. Uh, Another thing, you can test specific gravity, but that's almost never a problem. That's where it gives you the freeze point of the liquid. That's relatively easy to check. Use a hydrometer that will test that. But in my experience, even way after the coolant pH has dropped and it's doing damage, the specific gravity is still acceptable. So the coolant side of it, particularly in south Louisiana, where we really don't get 40 below zero, you know, our coldest days are going to be in the 20s. Almost any coolant is going to protect you down that low. If you've got any in there, it's probably going to protect you down to that. So the coolant side of it is not so much an issue in this area as the corrosion side. Corrosion side is a big, big, big deal. That's why we check pH. Okay. That's right. a question. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. You yeah, have bye. a good day. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All one sixty nine oh one is a number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. I've seen
1: cooling systems like that with the, the pH mm-hmm. under 7, mm-hmm. and it just – it'll almost total out a car. It will because of the expense of replacing the parts that it's actually damaging. I think the – probably two
0: of the most expensive things to repair on a car, one – is the air conditioning mm-hmm. because when it goes wrong generally it takes out so many other components because it's a sealed system correct so when the compressor fails it takes out the expansion valve it takes right, out it, the condenser it takes out the filter dryer it throws contaminants through the entire throughout system. the system so it's going to be very labor intensive and very part intensive to fix that but the second is the cooling system sure because it goes through almost every part of the car right and there's so many dissimilar metals and to make these efficient In other words, to make a heater core efficient, it has to be relatively thin. Mm -hmm. It also has to be relatively complex in design. It has to have a bunch of little tubes and fins and things where air can blow through, and it's a heat exchanger. So it's going to be a thin, highly efficient device that is designed to operate with a neutral-type coolant in it. What happens when you have dissimilar metals is you can set up electrolysis, and that's where electrons from the more active piece of metal are transferred to the least active piece of metal now aluminum is considerably more active than say cast iron right and so what happens is that if you start to get the ph of the coolant drop now we've got a corrosive in here which is going to start removing electrons from this active metal depositing them on the on the non-active metal less active more noble metal and what you've done is you set up a big old battery and it just eats one side of it away. I think the cathode is actually eaten away, and I may be wrong on that. I'm a little shallow on chemistry. <laughs> yeah, you got me questioning it I think, I think the anode is the one that receives the electrons, and the cathode is the one that gives it up. Maybe I'm backwards on that. Somebody's a chemist, may drop <laughs> give a call and correct me. But there you go. Regardless, metal will be transferred from one to the other. And when it starts to eat this metal away, it's already paper thin. Sure. And so it doesn't take a whole lot. Now, another thing that happens that gives you sort of a double whammy is you have corrosion, but you also start producing aluminum oxide. In other words, when iron rusts, it turns red, and that's called ferrous oxide. Mm -hmm. That's what rust is. Well, when aluminum corrodes, it does not turn red, but it produces aluminum oxide. Aluminum oxide is an abrasive. Right. If you ever look on sandpaper on the back of the paper, it may say aluminum oxide. That's what they're using as an abrasive. Now, when you start to circulate aluminum oxide through this system, through very thin aluminum parts that change angle at
1: 180-degree angles all over, you
0: start to wear holes.
1: Because, right. Because, because the force of the, the fluid going through it is carrying the abrasive against the metal mm-hmm. as it turns. Mm-hmm. And as it turns, it's it's throwing that abrasive right against that thin metal. It's like a sandblast. Before long, it's got a hole in it. Yeah, it doesn't take very long because this metal is
0: very, very, very thin, Probably 20,000 inches thick uh, of a soft metal, which is already corroded, and then you start to throw a sandblast effect in. In fact, I remember Ford had a lot of trouble eating up the heater cores in their vehicles. Mm -hmm. They were eating heater cores right and left, and they tried this, and they tried that, and they tried the other. And one way they were actually able to control it to a degree is they put an orifice tube in the in one of the hoses, which slowed Slowed down the flow. flow. Right, right. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And they came out with a technical service bulletin where you would install this. And on subsequent models, it came with this little orifice tube Mm -hmm. in the hose. Well, inevitably, what would happen is that some well-meaning amateur would go in and say, well, it's time to change these hoses. They're X number of years old. Right. They would take off this high-quality restricted hose, and they would put a piece of regular hose back into place. Well, the next thing would happen is the heater core would go out. Right. And they would change it. It would go out again. And sometimes, this had been years after the TechnoService bulletin was long gone, and if you didn't have a mechanic who just remembered, hey, this was supposed to be in there, right. they may not ever figure this out. <laughs> it just kept on eating heater cores
1: up. And that's not an inexpensive repair. No, it's not, because it's in the, in the same case with the evaporator uh, air core. Air conditioned evaporator core. Mm-hmm. And to get to that part, you have to take the dash out. That's on most right. vehicles, when you get down to the box that holds the evaporator and the heater core, mm-hmm. when you take that box out, you're looking at the back of the firewall. Right. Well, what they do is they weld the body shell together
0: and they paint it and then they maybe put the windshield in, and then they start putting this stuff in before anything right. else. This is first. Yeah, all that goes in, the ducts, the air conditioning, all that. Then they put the dashboard on top of that, and then they put the console on top of that, mm-hmm. and then they put all the interior trim in on top of that. Very the carpeting and all those sorts of things. Very
1: heavy labor repair.
0: Well, yeah, and to remove this, reverse that
1: process. Sure. So that means all the trim has to come out, the carpeting has to come out. A lot, of times, a lot of times one technician can't handle that that big of a component by himself, so he's actually pulling another technician to give him a hand to get that dash assembly out.
0: Because it's large and it's fragile.
1: Yes, it's very fragile, and it's easily scratched, easily damaged. Well, that – and
0: if you have a car that's a number of years old, let's say you have a car with a vinyl dash that's been sitting out in the hot sun for 12 years. Yeah, (laughs) guess what? (laughs) If you grab that improperly, or even if you grab it properly sometimes, the vinyl is going to crack because it's extremely brittle, and that's the risk you run because – The technician can take the utmost care, but he cannot guarantee that this is not going to crack. Sure. Only because it's very, very, very brittle, and just sometimes in normal handling, even extreme care
1: handling, you will crack that dash. Right. Which now you're into either replacing a dash or living with a crack in your dash from now on. And some of your Dodge pickups I remember right offhand back late 90s, I believe. Right. They didn't have enough. There wasn't enough material in them. Or some kind of chemical in them, and, man, after several years... They would just fall apart. They would. You'd hit a bump, and the big old crack would drop out in the dash. (laughs) You know, it it was crazy. Yeah, I think we're going to take our last little quick break. We'll be
0: right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
2: And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 3500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about 15000 That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, i never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer.
0: And I can spend money
2: on other things, like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Oh, yeah. Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco. It's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis and president of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's two nine one sixty nine oh one. We got Caleb on the air. Good morning, Caleb. Good
3: morning, guys. How are y'all doing? Doing, doing wonderful. Great. Sir. Wonderful. I got two thousand eleven GMC Sierra fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Um uh, 80,000 miles on it, and just listening to you guys, I've always heard this particular truck is
0: supposed to use oil with the Dexos. Yeah. I uh, mm-hmm. talked to the place
3: where I got an oil change the other day, and they said they have never used Dexos in this truck because the the oil cap did not have the Dexos symbol on it. What should I do? Should I switch to Dexos? I mean, I change it every 3,500 miles.
0: What kind of oil are they using, Caleb?
3: 530.
0: But just a regular conventional, uh, conventional, th- conventional type, type
3: oil? Right, correct.
0: Yeah, see, Dexos, to meet the Dexos standard, it's got to be a synthetic blend because standard oil just does not meet the proper standards. It's not going to give you the anti wear and some of the other stuff that that engine is designed to need. I would go to a Dexos approved oil. And see, Dexos is not a brand name at all. It's a specification For instance, if you, and I'm just going to pick one out of the blue, if you use Mobile One, that exceeds Dexos, so you can use that. The Dexos, Delco All, of course, will meet Dexos, and there's lots and lots of others. If it has that little logo on the label, that means it meets or exceeds the Dexos standard. The problems that they claim you're going to have, particularly if you have active fuel management on the vehicle, is some of those mechanisms depend on that. All additives to make them work properly and you may get 80,000 trouble-free miles not using it but then you may start having trouble down the road so i would probably go to a dexos approved oil
1: you okay know? great
0: all righty wonderful
1: thank you so much
0: yes sir thank you bye-bye all one sixty nine oh one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive i would love
1: to have you yeah you know, something GM has come out with i think the parent it was 11 wasn't it or was it 10 no when- 2011 they, 11, went, they okay. went to dexos across
0: the board and there's actually a dexos one and a dexos two and dexos one meets the gasoline standards dexos two meets the diesel standards correct and what they were shooting for is to simplify the process of selecting all which i'm not sure they did that but they wanted one all that could be used in every gm vehicle across the world okay and so they Engineered an oil that would meet the specifications of all the different engines they had. Now, fortunately, in Caleb's situation, on a 5.3 liter, it's still an overhead valve engine, not overhead cam engine. Right. And one thing that dexos is very, very critical on is on the overhead cam engines because the timing chains can wear if they don't have the proper additives. On overhead valve engines, it's less critical, although it is still, in my opinion, a critical matter. I would put the right oil Oh, in the most car. definitely. And if you have a problem, I know GM gives a 100,000-mile powertrain warranty. And let's say you had a problem with the powertrain on that vehicle, and you were still under the 100,000-mile warranty. Well, what they're going to want to see is your oil change records. Right. And if it does not show that you have used a Dexos-approved oil, they could technically void the warranty because you put the improper... Product in the vehicle, Uh so if you have a lubrication-related product, they may not honor your warranty. Right, and that's another reason because that's pretty valuable to you. You paid for it when you bought the car, so you might as well get the benefit of the warranty that they're expressing. But everything on GM from 2011 up has to have Dexos, and Dexos is not a brand name. Correct, a specification. So you could still use. ExxonMobil or you can still use any of the products that meet dexos it just has to have that logo on it to be approved by gm mm-hmm. let's go back to our phone lines. henry good morning henry
3: yes i have a 2007 highlander uh-huh and when it sits up in the weekend from friday to monday mm-hmm. the battery is dead okay and i take it to the automobile shop and they say that there's nothing wrong with the battery or the voltage regulator and when it's when i jump it off it starts Yes. And it
1: runs
3: all right for
0: the rest of a week. Yeah, very likely on that, Henry, you've got what they call a parasitic draw, and that is something is staying awake in the truck that should not be staying awake. And this can be very, very, very difficult to find. What you're going to have to do is bring it to a shop that knows what they're doing and can test for this, and you probably need to be prepared to leave it for several days. Because it could be something as simple as one of the computers has a sensor that is pinging it and waking it up, and when it wakes up, it wakes up the network, so all the computers are sitting there wide awake all night. I have seen cases where it was something as simple as one of the door, ajar switches, and at night, maybe somebody would drive by the car, the door would shake slightly, it would think the door was being opened, all the computers would come awake, and it would run the battery down overnight. And it may not be overnight, it may have to be over a weekend, because it depends on how bad the draw is. But in almost every case, if the alternator is good and the battery is good, something is staying awake when it shouldn't. And the hard part about that is it may not do it every time. It may only do it sometimes. When it does it, the battery goes dead. And it's very difficult because a shop can go in, hook up all the instrumentation in the world.
1: If it's not occurring, they can't find it. We've even had them in the shop doing it, and you unplug something and plug it back in – the circuit resets and it never happens again. It may have to sit there for it, two days before right. you can
0: get it to do it again. So it's
1: not billable time. In other words, they're not charging you for
0: four Three days, days of right. working on a the car. They only charge you for the time they are working on a car. But the physical time in the shop can be pretty long, and that fairly common problem. I've seen it a lot on Toyotas for some reason. Toyota and Lexus seems to be more sensitive to that. I'm not sure why. I have seen it on every car sure. made, but we see, seem to see a lot on Toyotas and Lexus. And like I said, the can,
3: it, can, can it be fixed? Oh, yeah, 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 it just just takes
0: time to find it. If we were going to do the job for you, what I would ask is that you go ahead and make arrangements for another vehicle, bring it in, just plan on leaving it with me maybe for the week. Right. And that should give me enough time to catch it. So I'm going to have to catch it doing it. Then I'm going to have to try some things. Then I'm going to have to let it sit and see if I fixed it or not. So it can eat up a lot of physical time. The actual charges aren't going to be that high because it's not going to be much working time, but it's going to be a lot of physical time sitting in the shop.
3: I Appreciate it. I think I'll bring it by and let you let you look at it on Monday. That sounds great. Sounds man. great, sir. Thanks thank for the advice. You. Yes, thank sir. you. Thank
0: you. Bye bye. I we're gonna try to catch another call or two. We got Rick online. Good morning, Rick.
3: Hey, good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Brian. Hope you all are doing well. Doing, doing great, great, sir. great, sir. Great. Hey, just a quick question. I've got the five point an four three valve in an O four F one fifty. Yes, sir. And I have run, I've had the truck almost since it was new and I've run 520 synthetic blend like they recommend. Yes, sir. But I have a little bit of a lifter or um, a valve cap and it's, not It's not much, but it's there. i just wonder if there's anything I can do to help this.
0: You need to make sure, Rick, that it is a valve tap and not something else, although it could very well be. They've had some trouble with camshafts wearing out on some of the earlier model ones like that. The cam lobe itself actually wears, and then the little follower will start jumping off of it and it makes that tick, tick, tick. Yeah. Is the noise only when you first crank it up, or does it go away when it gets hot? Or?
3: It seems to get better as it's warmed up. Mm-hmm. Go, It seems to go away some, but okay. it's still there.
0: Yeah, you need to check, probably pull the valve covers off and see. That has an overhead cam engine and has a cam follower which lies underneath the camshaft. And if you have some wear on the camshaft lobe, then it's going to start to make that ticking noise. The lifters themselves rarely make noise, although they technically could. And that can be repaired actually without taking the engine out of the truck or anything to fix it if it's a lifter. But if it's a camshaft... It's a pretty big deal, but nothing you can do preemptively other than continue to use the right all and change it real frequently. And, just, and I'm sorry, we're yeah. totally out of time. Go ahead and send me an email if I can get you a full answer, and I'll be glad to give you a little more information on that. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd
1: like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends and go to your favorites and give us a written rating. We really appreciate that.
0: Well, that's right. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.